Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. The next person I tell that I'm going on a cruise this week and they say, aren't you scared of coronavirus? I'm going to run over of a steamroller. The So my brother's a physician and he's been spending a lot of his time lately talking about uh, the coronavirus and how it's a whole bunch of hoopla blown out of proportion for nothing, especially when you consider that it's a fraction as deadly as the common flu that everybody's got going around right now. People, every time they oh, I, I say, I say I'm going to be out of town Thursday. Oh, where are you going? On a cruise. Oh, I wouldn't go on a cruise now. Be sure that boat ain't been nowhere near China. Yeah, they sailed it from Shanghai to Mobile just to give me well, the virus. where that's coming from is there's currently a cruise ship under quarantine because they had an outbreak or, or the, two people confirmed or something like that. Like it's, it, it, it's the same as, oh, I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't go to a chiropractor. I knew somebody's cousin's dog walker's great uncle that, that had a bad experience once. It's like, no, that doesn't, no. Yeah, this I'm is not on choosing to live my life that way. Ugh. People drive me nuts. But anyway, let's light a cigar and get in a better mood. All righty. I went for something a little unusual. Typically, we've talked about many times before, after we record, you and I sit down and we have another cigar and we kind of chat, catch up, argue with each other. Almost every week, at least one of us is smoking a La Roar ADN. Right. But neither one of us smoke it on the show very much, despite how much we love that cigar. But I walked in the humidor tonight and I went, you know what? That's what I want to smoke. So, uh, full-bodied selection from La Aurora's, the ADN. We've talked about it a lot. You call it the DNA. Everywhere you look for it online, it's the ADN, so I'm changing what we call it. Uh, it uses um, Anduyo tobacco from the Dominican, which is a different fermentation process uh, that gives it a really savory flavor. The best way I can describe this cigar is that 20 minutes after you finish smoking it, you feel like you just ate a steak. Yeah, it kind of brings that to the, that palate-pleasing. Yeah, it's very palate-pleasing. Uh, the amount of smoke that it puts off is phenomenal. Um, I just really... This was the cigar that created the re- rebirth in love for Dominican cigars for me. One of my favorites. And it's, it's unusual that it's a Tuesday night and I'm not smoking one, because usually it's my poker cigar. Right. Um, just a great cigar. The construction's excellent. The burn is excellent. I mean, just it's just that cigar. It's that utility cigar that you can smoke anytime under any circumstance. Right. And, and all the price ain't bad. You know, it's on the upper end, but the it's price close ain't to bad. 10 bucks. Yeah. But it's it's not bad for the price. And the money, I mean, the cigar for the money is just out of this world. Uh, absolutely. So this is the great part about being Shane. One of 5,847 great parts about being me is somebody walked up to me and said, Hey, have you ever smoked a diesel delirium? I said, We know humility is not 8,512. <laughs> he said, Have you ever smoked a diesel delirium? I said, No. Would you smoke one on the show? Sure. So I've got diesel delirium here. Now, I'm having some problem because the graphics and the pictures of the cigar on the website don't look nothing like the cigar I'm holding in my hand. 
And I'll be interested because the delirium is composed of Nic- Nicaraguan Lajero fillers that are aged in charred rum casks. They're then stashed in a thick Nicaraguan Habano binder leaf and finished with a sun-grown Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. That's not what this cigar looks like to me. I'm going to be interested when I light it up to see if it feels like that to me or what's going on. It says this is an A.J. Fernandez, which Which I think diesel's an A.J. line, ain't it? uh, I think so. What's interesting to me is that in the three-plus years that we've been doing this show, that is the first time we've ever gone to look up a cigar online and what we're holding in our hand doesn't match the description of anything that we find about it. Yeah, I got to think what it is is that it's just been repackaged. That they've just fell in, you know, just as Casa Fernandez became Aganor Salif, they right. decided they're going to redo the way the image of Diesel. So Could I kind of think that's what it is. But anyway, so why don't we talk about some new cigars? All right, let's do it. So we have, despite being a slow news week, we've actually got a pretty content filled show. We've got lots of new releases. I want to touch on some legislative things and then um, got a couple more things for you in the second half of the show. We're going to start with. You want to start with the Toscano? Um, I'm a huge fan of Toscano, as you all know. Um, they are launching a new cigar for the U.S. market in the Tuscanello size. So those are the ones that are already cut in half. You know, the party piece for Toscano is that you can smoke either end of it fine. You can either, even cut it right down the middle, and it'll still hold up, and you can share it with a friend. They package a lot of these that way already. Um so the new one is called the Rosso Cafe Macchiato. So red coffee, is that? <laughs> um. So this is, you know, and here's my question. Are, <coughs> hold on, I got a nose full of diesel. And I'll, somehow when I was lighting my cigar, it shot right up my nose. Have you ever had that happen? Yes. And it I'll, especially happens when you're smoking in the car. Because so, you're in such a confined space. Yeah. For some reason, I had my head turned, and this diesel shot right up my nose. But, okay, the description, first and foremost, the description's right. This is definitely Nicaraguan. I can definitely taste the rum cask. This is dead on. Their description is definitely this cigar, if, if my palate is to be believed. I was scared I was going to fire it up and th- taste pure Dominican or something. Gotcha. But, no. So, are Toscanos going to fall prey to the flavored cigar bands? I don't know. So I was actually going to make that distinction. Um, these fall under sort of aromatic and infused. I don't know that you necessarily... Call, I mean, a lot of the flavor comes from the dark fire or the dark cure... What's that? Fire cured tobacco, um, which lends a lot of its flavor to the cigar. So I wonder, because that if that in and of itself falls into that category then you've got to think the kfc and whatever that other one that was around for a little right, while that no one liked. yeah um so i don't know they call this um they call this an aromatic cigar which which i think is an important distinction because i've been very vocal about my distaste for flavored cigars it's just not my thing now when we had adrian and um michael on the um, Capolini on the show last year, they handed me one of the vanilla Toscanos, and I was actually surprised by how much I liked it. There's a time and a place <laughs> for flavored cigars and all, but it's rare and not, you know, not in public. Yeah. Um, 
but the idea of this one being a little bit more coffee, you know, I, I, I definitely am going to pick one of these up when I start seeing them in, in shops. We Austin carries the full line here. A couple of the shops that I go to have them pretty regularly, so it shouldn't be hard to find. Um, but I am, it's one of those, they're one of those companies that I, I have a hard time finding anything that they do wrong. So... Yeah, Take just, your cigar out of your mouth before you speak. Sorry, I was adjusting my iPad. So, the um, anything Toscano makes gets the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you know, there's cigars yeah. like that, that whatever they do, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Now, there's cigars that are going to start out doing an uphill battle with me. I wish there right. wouldn't. You know, a lot of crown head stuff starts out with me on an uphill slope because I've been burned by so much crown head product. It's funny. I was having that thought as I walked by the crowned head selection in the humidor tonight, but how long it's been since I've smoked a crowned head cigar. For as someone who was as big a fan as I was as recently as about a year and a half ago, I really haven't... I can't tell you that it's probably been almost a year since the last time I had a crowned head product. No, the coalition that we had a couple months ago, but... And it's because I've... Everything's just kind of, you know, their price point is, is ticking up a little bit, but also... Um, it, they're starting to get that sophomore slump for me of just everything's tasting so similar. Well, so much so much of what they've made this year has just been a dog. I have not been impressed with what they've been making. Even the Coalition, probably the best thing they made this year, but I, I'm not going to go out of my way for one. I mean, right. it's just not that cigar for me. And uh, But okay, so let's talk about El Septimo, the Epic of Gilgamesh cigar. So this is something... I am not terribly familiar with El Septimo or Septimo or however you pronounce it. Um, I'm not familiar with that brand at all, but I saw this. And the reason I wanted to touch on this is because, first and foremost, this is from Half Wheel. The cigars look delicious. They've got that deep, rich, uh, flavorful-looking wrapper. Um, Costa Rican tobacco, which... Yeah, I've not had much Costa Rican tobacco. Seems like the Costa Rican tobacco I had had a much lighter flavor, so much so that I didn't ever seek it out. Yeah, I can see that. It, and both of them are Costa Rican Puros, so it'll be interesting um, to see what they... I don't know if I'll be able to find one of these very easily. This may have to be an online purchase for me, because, uh, like I said, not being familiar with the brand means that no one around here carries it in-house. Um Here's my complaint with this, and I don't know if this is the brand or the the article from Half Wheel. Tiny little footnote at the bottom of the article. The line is named after King Gilgamesh, who is believed to be the king of Sumer, uh, southern part of Mesopotamia, sometime between 2800 and 2500 BC. The Sumerian Empire was, as a part of Mesopotamia, worldwide at that time in terms of the known world. King Gilgamesh. Take a minute and just go down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. An incredible story. Uh, You know, the guy was later deified as being, you know, just this, this over... They wrote epic poems about him and they're like tales of his exploits, most of which are probably mythological at this point. Tell me some of that, whether it's in your press release for the cigar. Like, I would love to know why a Costa Rican Puro got 
labeled with this moniker. I'd love to know what went into. I mean, there's so many ways you can go with this. Don't just give me a footnote. If you're gonna, if you're going to put the name Gilgamesh on a cigar that you're releasing, first of all, great name for a cigar. But tell me something about it. Give me the story. Give me the. Well, you know, we talk about it all the time. Names have power. Right. And when you invoke certain names, you better you better be ready to perform up to that status. And I'll, you know, if you call if you call a cigar the King Tut, probably not going to be a lot expected out of it. But when you do a deep dive and you go, you know, Gilgamesh or Attila the Hun or something, you know, right. Quetzalcoatl, when you get into these things, you probably should have. I think you should do a little more research. Now, is this they didn't do the research, or is this just poor reporting from Halfway? And I don't know. This this may just be a reporting thing where they didn't, or but it could just be that all they got was a press release and created an article based on that, and there wasn't. So I I don't know. I, I'd love to to get in contact with these guys and kind of find out more about it because there's got to be a story here, right? Hopefully, maybe they, maybe they just like the name Gilgamesh. Could be, and and that's perfectly fine too. But with a name like that, you hope that you hope that they put it. Yeah, you hope they did a little work. Yeah. So this brings us to our topic of the night. This next cigar, Punch is releasing a new value brand called Knuckle Buster, and also now we're dealing with another value cigar. Yeah. So you know we've talked a lot about General and and some of the strikes stripes they're making. Um, with just being kind of innovative again for a big brand you don't necessarily expect that a lot of the time punch has been they've been putting out a lot of great cigars in the last few years under that under that brand it's going to be a nicaraguan um wrapper nicaraguan binder and filler uh with honduran binder and filler as well it's got a good recipe kind of par for the course with punch you know, I wish they would say, "Is this go- okay? Is this now a medium filler cigar? Is the, you know what is the deal on this cigar?" They don't, they don't actually get into the physics of the cigar. But generally, when you get into cigar sub five dollars, you get into medium filler cigars, right? Which is not bad. I'm not going to no. ever just throw one down because it's medium filler. I'm going to want to take the flavor of it and everything, you know. And um, all of them are going to be less than six dollars. Robusto for four ninety nine, Toro five forty nine, and Gordo five ninety nine. Yeah, and I like the Gordos a six and a quarter by sixty. Oh, so you get that extra little bit. I get that extra quarter. That means that means a lot in my life. <laughs> you know, the the Ed, Ed Laman, the senior brand manager, said that we wanted to be the perfect smoke for walking the dog or mowing the lawn or enjoying a cigar with cigar smoking friends. That first part of his statement, I think, is great. You know, he's basically saying you can use it as a throwaway cigar or you can use it as a destination cigar, and that's great. Because after all, he goes on to say, a cigar is not about money or status or boutique cigar makers. Shots fired. Yeah, and it's about time. General Cigar has been taking it on the chin as the, the quote, the man, and every boutique cigar maker's been acting like, you know, they've been oppressed for all their life and they're just now breaking free of the bondage. And uh, so I'm glad to see General fight back just a little and say, yeah, we are the man because we're this good. But I don't think it comes down to that. I don't think there, there's plenty of room in the humidor for boutiques and for major label cigar manufacturers. I don't think you have to fight with one another. You know, granted, if General and Altidus had their way, they would be the only cigar brands and probably J.C. Newman as well. They would be the only brands in, in every humidor. They would probably like to crush the boutique guys. 
But if the boutique guys had their way, they could be the only cigar they would, too. I mean, that's just business. Well, yeah, but my point is there's really, you know, walk into a humidor or to a cigar shop in the middle of the day when the reps are making their rounds. Oftentimes you will find, because everyone has a pretty similar territory, you'll see a lot of overlap. You know, reps end up in there at the same time. Everyone's friendly. Everyone gets along because there's plenty of room for everybody. Well, and that's the thing. Everybody's palate is going to be different enough. All you can try to do is hit as many of the palates on as many of the days as you can. That's really all you can do. So to to say, and you know, when someone feels the need to talk down another product to try to raise theirs up, they've lost my business in most cases. And that's what this is, and that's what I feel he's doing here. He's basically saying that, you know, cigar is not about boutique cigar makers. And it's like, you well, do, I can you understand. Don't, you don't no, but you don't get just because you knock someone down doesn't make you taller. But so let's talk about the variety in the humidor. So around here in this shop, there just ain't Austin is not going to have a lot of value conscious cigars in there. I think the Baccarat's probably he's got the Baccarat and he sells the quorums by the bundle just because he's got people that want a really cheap bad smoke. Um, so he, and his reasoning is if they're buying cheap cigars, they're not buying my expensive cigars. Well, the thing is, so, so the question on the table, just to kind of, you know, encapsulate what we're talking about is how much value does a cigar shop owner get out of bringing a lot of these budget, sorry, my phone is going off behind me, so I'm trying to stay focused. Um, my watch is going off. My phone's vibrating. It's, it's, for someone with ADD, this is a horrible podcast. How much value is there for the shop owner to bring in cigars like these or a lot of cigars like these into your humidor? I think it really depends on the shop. I don't know. So here's the thing. There, there are very few monogamous cigar smokers out there. What percentage of the population would you say smokes the same cigar every time they light one up? Small. Less, less than 20%. I'd go to say, if you're talking strictly one cigar, nothing but one cigar over and over, I'd say less than 10%. Yeah. So it's You've not- got people like me who smoke the same five cigars over and over, I would say makes up probably the majority of cigar smokers. Well, and if I had a bigger selection, I would have a bigger repertoire. Right. You know, my selection at home is much bigger than what I'm just going to be able to get in the shop. And also, I have a much broader base there, and I'll, I'll rotate around quite a bit further. So, I think, have the value cigars. Have the cigars that people want to buy, because especially in here, they're, they're here for the experience. You can buy the cigars cheaper. They're here for the experience. Let them come in and enjoy the experience. And then, how good is it when you've had a week that you've been smoking your $5 Jose Blancos or whatever they are, and you finally get your hands on that Padron? How much better is that Padron than it would be if you had been smoking it all week? I don't know. That's a, that's a hard comparison to make because I think the Padron 3000 is one of those that it, it's always good. Or 4,000. Do you have so time on. for the podcast tonight? Do we need to delay this for I, a I'm, week or two? I'm, I'm still... T- 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 <laughs> let just, me do my thing. I'm just checking. You seem to be you seem to be bouncing around a lot. So, 
I believe if, I was fine until you derailed me just then. <laughs> no, but the reason I say I think it depends on the cigar shop is because look at a shop like this one or like Smoker's Abbey where you sell or even Costa de Monte Cristo is, is, as well mostly their prices are just so good across the board that you can get a deal on, on what would cost you a dollar or two more somewhere else those are cigar shops that have a hangout atmosphere they serve alcohol they have a lot more they have events not just around cigar events but they have watch parties and things like that in a cigar shop like that I think you do see a benefit from smoking from from offering five six and seven dollar cigars versus somebody that doesn't do a lot of that stuff like uh, like a Bell Mead cigar or even a Franklin cigar down the road those people are, are really more focused on in and out business and box sales and so I don't think you see as much of a value out of the, out of the budget but if someone's going to be sitting here all night and then smoke one maybe two six dollar cigars versus one twelve dollar cigar because their budget goes that much further the whole time they're sitting here unless they're someone like me they're going to be drinking that much more beer while they're here so their ultimate ultimately their ticket price per customer goes up well and the the profit margin on beer is far superior to the profit margin on cigars so if you're giving them a good cigar not to mention how many times have you been here and somebody showed up right as you were finishing a cigar, and you said, man, I'd, I'd really like to sit and talk with them, so yeah, I'll have another happen, one. It happens all the time. I was sitting over here talking with a couple of guys the other night, and uh, and it was one of those. I was on my way out, and we ended up talking for another hour, so I ran over and grabbed a Toscano just so, you know. And yeah. cigars, budget cigars, budget-friendly cigars like that are perfect for that scenario, and that's why I like, I mean, like you said, Perfect smoke for walking. The, no, it was the Tusca, it was the Tuscanello we were talking about. It said coffee break cigar, and I love that. Well, and also, I don't think that anybody says, "Okay, I'm going to smoke the um, I'm going to only smoke the value cigars." I think people smoke what they like, and the difference in a six dollar and a cigar, a twelve dollar cigar, ain't really that much at the end of the week in your budget unless you smoke five or six a day and the average smoker don't smoke that much exactly and I think but if you look at it on a per night you know if you come at the end of the night and you go to settle up your tab and it's $15 versus $30 you do notice that like you said at the end of the at the end of the week it probably doesn't make that big a deal but at the moment where you're swiping the card or in the humidor thinking about it it does make a difference well, you know, the point-of-sale program here, if I wanted to, I could find out how much money I have spent in this shop each year. I don't want to know. Because if you quant- you know, if you know, quantify, wow, last year I spent $8,000 in this shop, and you don't, quant- you don't span that out over 356 days and all the joy you had in those times and what that bought you, if you don't quantify it in those terms, then you're just gonna you're just gonna sticker shock. You're just gonna think of all the things you could have spent eight thousand dollars on. The downfall of every golfer is when you start thinking about the hobby in terms of greens fees. I was guilty of this, and that's why I haven't played in almost two years. You know, instead of thinking about the three or four hours you go out and spend time hanging out with your friends, you're thinking about, well, that's forty dollars for X number of, you know. <laughs> for four hours of frustration. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and 
when you separate the enjoyment piece from the financial piece, that's where, as a consumer, you get into some of that that hard area to justify. It's like gambling. You know, we're going on a bat- on the bachelor party to Tunica sing. Right. When we go to Tunica and all, I'm not going to be thinking about, oh, how much money am I losing? It's how much money are you paying for the amount of time and joy you're getting out of that. Well, it's like I tell people all the time. I go to the theater to watch a movie maybe twice a year. That's a busy year for me, going to the movies. When you consider the fact that a ticket costs... 12 to 14 dollars in that same amount of time I can have two cigars and depending on who's hanging out at the shop that night it's a better experience oh tons better and you know especially as the way movie theaters have got right and I especially now they've all got those reclining seats are those the most miserable things in the world I cannot get comfortable in those and they do the assigned seating have you been to one yet where they try to do the assigned seating they all all of them in this area do and it drives me crazy because I am not one of these people that decides, okay, a week from next Tuesday, I'm going to go see a, a movie. No, it's, hey, we actually randomly have a, a Saturday afternoon with nothing to do. Let's go see a movie because X, Y, Z is out. And then you go, we live less than a mile from a movie theater. You walk up and you can't get two together. Or if you do, they're on the front row. Right. It, it's infuriating. It is. And it's adding a, you know, it's adding a level of ag- of agony to it that is making it even more, more of a reach. So, you know, I haven't gone to see a movie in forever. And AMC, if you're listening, speaking directly to you, train your box office people or, or write some coding into your online programming that doesn't allow people to leave six single seats in a row so that who goes by themselves? <laughs> right. Sure, people do go to the movies by themselves, but force people to sit next to other people so that you're not giving. Because how many tickets are they missing out on? Yeah, because people can't sit together. Well, it's a bad idea. There should not be a sign against assigned seats in movie theaters. I am for if I owned a cigar shop, I would have a budget wall. Yeah. I would have a wall with a very good selection of budget cigars, and I'll guarantee you my main cigar sales would not suffer at all, and my over profit, overall profitability would go up. Well, yeah, because it's a quantity versus quality thing. Well, and okay, so you bring somebody in, and the barrier to entry, you know, somebody that's never smoked before, and the barrier to entry is $6, they're probably going to come back someday. Right. You bring somebody in, and the barrier to entry is $15, they're less likely to come back. So over the course of the life... You're going to make more money. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's short-sightedness that keeps these budget sticks kind of under the heel. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, let's step away for a break. Let's do a cigar under eight. When we get back, got all kinds of stuff to talk about, including I'm going to spring something on you that's near and dear to your heart that I can't wait. Oh, lovely. That <laughs> so, always bodes well for me. So we'll be right back. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8. This week, I want to talk about the Gran Habano Number no. 5 Corojo. We've never talked about Gran Habano before. No, they're a, they're a cigar that's typically on the bottom or second-to-bottom shelf. Like they're, they're usually not put in a place of prominence in most humidors, but a lot of places actually carry them, and you may be surprised until you're actually looking for it. You know, the 50-count, a lot of times you'll find these in the 50-count tub, and I think sometimes people slide past cigars in the 50-count tub. 
But this is, it's a Corojo wrapper with Costa Rican, Mexican, and Nicaraguan fillers and binders. Um, made in Honduras at the El Pariaso factory um, in Danley, Honduras. Um, just a good cigar. I mean, not a great cigar, but it kind of is the work, a workhorse cigar. It is. It's a great golf course cigar. Yeah, great golf course cigar, great fishing cigar, just a really easy cigar to smoke. I guess that's the biggest compliment I can pay to it. And don't let the super floral and and foil line label turn you off. I think that might be another part. It looks a little too overproduced for the price in terms of the label, but it actually is. It does put its money where its mouth is. It is. So until next week, try Gran Habano number 5 Corojo. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who got stopped, caught stealing signs at the World Championship of Cigar, Trey Dedman. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. Not because, first of all, that's probably the most like pop culture timely bump joke you've ever done. Stealing signs. Because the, the Patriots got in trouble for that a few years ago. Now the Astros are in hot water for it. Who cares? If you're going to do your signs in public, in front of a world stage, it's up to you to change them up once in a while. They're in, they're in plain view. But here's the deal. They've said it's illegal. Everybody's signed on to it to be an illegal, so don't do it. And, I'll, but, and this is what I love about baseball. This is the interesting thing about baseball. Apparently, you can get away with anything if you've got a really good song. So, okay, the commissioner of baseball, who Shane didn't bother to look up his name, is up front, and they say, um, Commissioner, your World Series champion were caught cheating blatantly. And uh, what do you think about that? He just starts going, take me out to the ball game. What about Barry Bonds and all the steroids he took? Take me out to the crowd. And uh, what about Sammy Sosa and court bats? What about strikes? By me? And by the time he gets to the part about rooting for the home team, the whole press corps is now singing along. So apparently, if you have a good song, you can get away with anything. I'm going to try this. One night I'm going to come in, lipstick on my collar, you know, stripper glitter covering my body. And when Glenda says, Shane, what happened? What are, what, how do you want to explain yourself? I'm just going to say, the love boat soon <laughs> will be taking a... <laughs> You know, I'm just going to try this. If it works for baseball, it's got to work for everybody. <laughs> so I firmly believe it's all in the song is how baseball is getting out of this. Because if you notice, that's always what ends up happening. And uh, in baseball, it's supposed you know, and baseball fans will climb up on the purity of the game high horse quicker than any other fandom in history. Well, it's because they've got the most storied history of any other major sport in this country. But they still okay. No other sport ever canceled an entire season because of strikes, because they couldn't get their act together. Not true. The NHL did it back in 2005. Well, no other sport that matters. And no other sport. Are you, at, at this point, you're just looking for things to poke me with. But baseball just seems to be bulletproof. I really admire the fact that baseball, because... This in anywhere else, this would be a big deal. They said, "Oh yeah, we'll just fire a bunch of people," and that'll. And then, but nobody brings it up. Nobody hammers it down. Nobody is, you know, 
Nobody is calling, oh, don't watch the Astros play baseball. Everybody's just saying, oh, yeah, this happens. And all the signs shouldn't have been out there if you didn't want them stole. Well, the, but the, the truck's parked in the parking lot. I don't want it stole. Do I need to go, to go no, specify but that's, that? But that's why you lock it. Sure. I don't remember if I locked it or not. But anyway, the I didn't leave the keys in the ignition. But... Yeah, no, for me, like, yeah, okay. Is it against the rules? Yes. So does that make it cheating? Sure. But let's look at the NF. Let's look at the NFL again. You've got a swath of people who are in hot water for domestic abuse, drugs, violent crimes. Yet the press wants to talk about somebody paying a little too much attention to the hand-waving that the offensive line coach is doing on the other side. This wasn't that simple, though. This was, we're going to beat on the trash can twice when it's a, when it's going to be a slider, this is a fastball. This was not just a, oh, an observant man came up with this. No, this was a plot. This was a plot. This was not something that just happened in passing. No, and, and I'll give you that, but I'm, I'm just saying how egregious is egregious, you know, Certainly, there have to be some rules that you know. If you're if you're rubbing pine tar up on the bat, corking your bat, you know, in rubbing stuff on the ball to make it fly differently, that's that affects the outcome of the game far greater than banging on the drum a couple of times. How could not knowing the pitch before the pitcher throws it affect not affect the outcome of the game? It obviously works. They won the World Series. I mean, it obviously you, works. The thing is, you don't watch baseball, though. They were dominant all freaking season long. Yeah, they, they were, knew what the other guy they, was throwing. No, they were a World Series champion team from spring training on. They were always going to win the World Series. This is like the whole deflate gate with, with the Patriots. Again, you mean to tell me that they waited until the AFC championship game against the Colts? when they're already winning like 28 to 3. But is your argument that baseball's not so bad because football cheats too? No, I'm just saying I, I don't understand the argument of, you know, because like I said, the the piousness of the baseball fan is undeniable. And the that's what I hear every time is, oh, well, so-and-so cheated. Well, this cheated. No, well, this and I, cheated. And I'll be the first to, to rail against because it comes up in political debates all the time about, well, well, yeah, but these people on the other side are doing it. Just because one person is doing something bad doesn't mean this person doing something bad is is negated. And I, I will stand with you on that. Well, just had, I just had to get your feelings of that because I know you are a baseball fan, and I have the luxury of not being. I, I, but I, and I did want a chance to sing the Love Boat theme on air. But that was the whole setup for your bit. That was it. That, it was all about me getting to sing the Love Boat theme, covered in stripper glitter with lipstick on my collar. Um, this come from the Daily Memphian. Oh, we're jumping into that one first. Yeah, I thought we'd do something else positive before we jump back into the other one. Cig- Cigar Bar plans two-story humidor performance area with downtown loan. And I don't know why that... Why do they have to specify the downtown loan? Can it not just be a cigar area? Well, I think it's because it's coming from the Downtown Memphis Commission, which is... It's kind of like the the National Tourism Board. It's it's not public funds, but it's kind of connected to public funds, so it, it's about transparency. So Havana Mix Cigar Emporium, located at 250 Peabody Place. For Which, if you're ever in home, Memphis, it's worth checking out. It's a pretty cool shop. 
received a $200,000 loan from Downtown Memphis Commission Wednesday to expand into a neighboring bay that's been empty since the property was developed in 2000. Okay. I'm not, I hate to be this guy, but $200,000 ain't that much money. It's really not. That I mean, tells you something about Memphis, doesn't there, it? There, I guarantee you $200,000 ain't covering a lot of the bills of expanding a cigar shop. No. But I think it's probably just initial build-out. Um, what's, what's interesting is I was reading a CBS article today about the uh, most dangerous or murder-prone cities in the country. Uh, tennis, uh, Nashville was number 38. Yay! Memphis was number 6. Sure. Is the sixth deadliest city in the country. Well, that might explain why you can expand a cigar shop in the middle of the heart of downtown for only $200,000. Well, this is also a VIP area and a performance stage. Do you want a performance stage in your cigar shop? I just don't want to perform. I don't want to see, you know, I might watch a little stand-up while I smoke a cigar. I might, you know, watch something like that. But as far as music and all that, I'm... I'm against music in the cigar shop in any event other than just as a low background thrum. Yeah, well, I, I'd be interested to see. It doesn't say, oh, there we go. Yeah, 7,500 square feet. Their current shop is about the same size as this one at about 3,000 square feet. So they're essentially tripling their their space. I could see having a performance venue in a small corner without affecting the overall if it's separated where if you and I want to come have a conversation we can or we can go listen to music if, if we're not subjected to all of it well we're we're we've been talking with a employee of a shop in this area I don't want to give it out because I don't know how much of it is public information but they're going to be expanding their facilities here pretty soon to include a performance space I mean they they told us that that was part of not necessarily that they're always going to use for that, but that they'll have it available. And I, I feel like you very rarely go to Memphis for live music. If you do, you're right on Bill Street, which is a couple blocks away from where this is. I don't think they're using it as a draw, but it'll be nice to have, you know, during Memphis in May when you've got a lot of extra tourists in town and things like that. This sounds to me like somebody said, hey, I could get you this loan if you were going to have a performance space. Because that way we don't have to classify you strictly as a cigar bar. This seems to me that this was more for purposes of getting the loan than for actual desire of the clientele. Actually, having met the guys who run this shop, it was many years ago, but left an impression. I would be willing to bet this probably came out of talking to their customers. They are one of those that really just pay attention to their regulars and what they want. And it very well could be that something like this... Now, there are plenty of cigar shops that have performance venues as a part of their footprint, so it may not be completely off the wall, but it could be that they got they were getting some rumblings from their usual crowd about this being something they would like. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Hey, if it, if it suits your clientele, then by all means. I'm not saying performance in a cigar shop's bad. I'm saying it doesn't suit me. I want to have conversation. I want to have socialization. I want to throw a few cards, play a little poker, and enjoy myself at a cigar shop. And all. But let's talk about something else. Let's, you know, we touched on this a week or two ago, and I never really felt satisfied. So I'm coming back to it. D.C. Judge strikes down warning labels for premium cigars. Um, this is a win. And I love the... Um, 
I love the judge's comments. They said the FDA's rules are arbitrary and capricious. The FDA could not illustrate to this judge how these warning labels would do anything. Well, it also wants, makes me want to put the entire FDA regulation in, same, in front of the same judge because um, basically what he goes is that, uh, ooh, where was it? Oh, it was in the other article I had pulled up on this. But basically they didn't follow the proper rules for establishing regulation and implementing it. And that's what this could it was. It was basically that they didn't give advance notice. They didn't allow for X, Y, and Z. You know, basically, they didn't follow the proper rules. They just handed it down with an iron fist and said, this is our edict. You shall follow it. And he, basically, under that was a big part of why he said, no, you didn't do this properly. I wish he, they would put the entire FDA regulation against the tobacco industry in front of this guy. Yeah, I wish the burden, the burden of proof should be on the FDA's shoulders, not on the tobacco industry's shoulders. Exactly. And, uh, and that's what this judge has done. Judge Amit P. Mehta um, filed his opinion on this in the U.S. District Court of District of Columbia. And he, I'm, bravo. I'm all for it, not just, and not just because it pertains to the cigar industry. I'm in favor of this kind of ruling of, okay, you want to add rules, meet the burden of proof. Right. You want me to only have seven shots in my pistol instead of 15. Meet the burden of proof. You want my AR-15. Meet the burden of proof. I think the rule makers should have to have the burden of proof. I don't think they should be able to issue an edict and then we have to defend ourselves from them. Right. And uh, I, I think that's, you know, obviously blatantly against the Second Amendment and every other amendment you can think of in that they're... You know, they're trying to say, okay, you're now guilty until proven innocent. And also, I'm, I'm in favor of this. I really like this article. I really like touching on this because I really feel like the FDA is just doing a cash grab here, and we need people to, to just point it out. Say, hey, are you? is this all about the cash? Is that what this is? And also, let me tell you about the diesel delirium. This is an A.J. Fernandez at its prime. This is a really full-bodied cigar. This is probably one of the top five fullest-bodied cigars I've ever smoked. Wow. Um, just a lot of flavor, a lot of strength, no complexity. It's it's a one-note chord, but it's a good one-note chord. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm not going to condemn it as just a one-note note chord. It's smoke on the water. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's every that pun was completely unintentional, by the way. <laughs> it's every ACDC song ever played. They there all sound go. the same, but they're awesome in any event. This is a good cigar. I'm really enjoying it. Now, is it box-worthy? No. Definitely not box-worthy. Probably not going to make the regular rotation, but I'd probably, I'd probably run by it again. Hmm. You know, I'm going to have to put my lips on it. I think, that, I think that sounds, based on what you're talking about, something right up my alley. Yeah, you know, a night, there are nights you're in the mood for a full-bodied cigar. You know, I stopped the other night. I had a prime rip. And I'll actually, surprisingly good, free plug, I stopped at Jim and Nick's, the barbecue place, and they were serving prime rip. And I had had a disappointing prime rip a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know what? I'm in the mood to, to try something for out For some there. retribution. Right. So I tried a barbecue house prime rib, and it was amazing. And after I was done with it, I wanted that full-bodied smoke. Oh, yeah. I didn't need complexity. I'd already had the prime rib. My 
my taste buds were already fired up and ready to go. I wanted that full-bodied cigar to really infiltrate my yeah. senses. And on, this is that kind of cigar for me. This is really what I would go for. What are you getting from the DNA? Oh, uh, what I mean, what is there to say about this cigar that we haven't said a million times before? This is a six and a half, bordering on seven. I mean, it's not an exclusive or a special occasion enough of a cigar to really be that seven, be that seven of like, yes, I get to smoke this today kind of thing. But in terms of value for dollar and just overall quality, it cannot be beat. I absolutely love this cigar. There are a lot of times that I'll have an Africa, and then if I'm going to have a second cigar, I'll reach for the DNA. It kind of it follows the Africa really well. Yeah. It seems like those two cigars, when they were blended, kind of blended to go together. Well, I think the Anduya tobacco brings so much of a unique flavor and, and savoriness to the party that it. this is a cigar that will consistently play second fiddle so, so well. Right. It'll always be a good cigar. It's always going to be fulfilling. It's always going to be satisfying. It's just that cigar. And I, and I really enjoy that about the DNA. I just you can't go wrong when you grab one. You just can't go wrong. Yeah. So, and so talk about your book. Okay. So I was. This was a bit of a, a a light week in terms of cigar news, but I found this from the Post and Courier out of Charleston, South Carolina, and apparently Michelle Moore. Uh, is adapting a book into a play. Now, unfortunately, this article is from last week. If you happen to be in the South Carolina area, too bad, you missed it. But what I found out about was that she's the author of a novel from 2016, which was before we started doing the show, called The Cigar Factory. And it's basically about the cigar industry back in the early 40s in Charleston, South Carolina. So it's kind of a period piece. She did a lot of research on making sure that she got it right in terms of how a cigar factory was worked at that time and that sort of thing. And it's kind of a, you know, it's a novel, so it follows around a couple of women who were working in the industry at that time and, and you know, some of what they go through. Um, but I found the book on Amazon for 13 bucks in paperback. This has really just kind of sparked my interest. So I'm going to pick up the book, and I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to kind of report back on it in a couple of weeks on the show. Well, this kind of is definitely a more Trey thing than Shane thing. I, I can't this this would feel to me like I was having to read it for a book report in high school. And you know, I'm not I'm not a fan of anything that's going to bum me out. Why, why do you assume that it's going to bum you out? Just because of the one piece of it that I told you about? Well, the article, it's about, you know, any anything that says they end with singing, I will overcome, lets me know that it's not going to be something I'm going to enjoy, that they're they're poor, downtrodden, and it's it's the man. And, I'll, hey, everybody, try to be the man. Instead of trying to rail against the man, try to be the man. You'll be so much happier in life as the man. So the story is set in Charleston, and it basically follows two working-class Catholic women, um, one of whom is an African-American, the other is an Irish-American, who both work at the factory in different um, parts of the factory. So it, it kind of follows the, the nuanced kind of piece of race relations at that time and, and sort of the intricacies of, of 
Southern culture at that time. You know, just because something touches a a tough topic doesn't automatically make it bad. But I but feel like that's boring. I disagree completely. <laughs> there's there's a lot to be said for expanding one's horizons. I was talking to somebody about you recently, and one of the things that I like about you is that you're willing to have friendships with people who don't share your worldview. Sure. But being being open-minded to other people's ideas does not make one open-minded inherently. So I think What's you could do... What's the definition do, of open-minded if not could, that? Because, because you have made up your mind for how the world works, the way people work and think and behave, and there is no matter of fact, statistic or insight that will ever change your mind from the what from the mind that you have already made up. That's now you'll entertain other people having those ideas, but you have no room for change in your mind. That's so while you are open-minded in terms of who you will spend your time with, that doesn't inherently make you open-minded. So I think you could do with a little bit of horizon expansion in looking at other people's experiences, being a little more empathetic. Well, empathy is not my strong suit. You don't have an empathetic bone in your body. Oh, I have intellectual empathy. I have cognitive empathy. I can understand, but I don't feel the need to feel it with you at all. I can understand how this, you know, how people can feel downtrodden and feel hurt and all that stuff. But I don't feel the need to feel that with them. And I am all cognitive empathy. I am just not a really emotionally empathetic person. It's not how I was built. It's not how who I'll ever be. And I think that's wiring. And I don't see a benefit to changing that. I don't see how that how becoming more susceptible to the emotions of others would make me a better person. I disagree wholeheartedly. I think the only way we become better people is through experiencing life through others' experiences. And but can't you do that intellectually? Only to a certain extent. I, I, think, I think I can get my belly full of it intellectually. And, I'll, and, you know, my time is so precious. My time is very precious and very valuable to me. I place a higher rate of value on my time. It's like when, when I worked a regular job and they wanted me to work overtime. No. And all. I, the money's not worth it. My time at home, if I'm making $50 an hour at work, my time at home is worth $150 an hour. And I'm not willing to sell that. I decide how much of my time I'm willing to sell to someone based on my needs. And all. And we can get into the concept of time and how people end up enslaving themselves to the concept of time, but we don't have enough time, ironically enough, in the show to get into that. And all. But... I just don't feel the need to to feel the emotions of these people, and I guess that's why the plays and the stuff like that, you know, hey, make me laugh, give me a give me a chuckle, make me laugh, make me think about something maybe I haven't thought about before. But that's but that's exactly my point. I, I want to seek out things that make me change the way I think about things, or think about something that I hadn't previously thought about. See, I don't want to put a lot of thought into something that I can't change. But if everyone took that 
view, then nothing would ever change. The thing is, there are some things that you can't change, but there are a lot of things that people have decided we can't make in, affect any change in, but we really can. Well, you're the second person in a week that's told me that I'm adverse to change, as opposed to the five people that told me I'm not. I took a poll. Um, and it's not that I'm adverse to change, it's that I have a high burden of proof when it comes to change. If you want me to change, then you've got a huge burden of proof to overcome. You're not adverse to change, you're adver- adverse to social change. Things that affect social dynamics, maybe political dynamics, those are the things that you're afraid to change in. When it comes to trying a new cigar or a new restaurant, something like that, that, that doesn't phase you. But the meaningfulness, the, the things that change who we are as people, those are the things that you're averse to. Well, you know, we had this discussion. We were talking about strange, and we don't talk about politics often, but we were talking about Buttigieg. And they're like, well, what do you think about a gay man being in the White House? I don't care. If his financial policy's good, if he's not going to try to rob from the rich and give to the poor, if, his, if he's not a communist, whatever his financial policies are, I could care less what he does when he lays down at night. When he's off the clock, I don't care what he's doing with his time. If his game is sound while he's on there, now, I don't agree with Buttigieg in anything that he's talking about, but it has nothing to do with the fact that he's gay. It has to do with the fact that he's, his opinions are vastly different than I, the way I think a country should be run. And also, I, I don't think I am resistant to change. I just think I carry a high burden of proof, and I th- I'm very categorized. And all. What you do in your off time is what you do in your off time. What you do when you're working for me, I, I have a lot of say in. And all. And it all comes back to what we've talked about with the cigar industry and everything else. It comes back to where should the burden of proof lie? And all. It's not my responsibility to get the burden of proof from anyone who thinks they've been downtrodden in life. And all. But someone's experience is their reality. It don't have to be. My experience doesn't have to be my reality. I've changed it many times. And all through hard work, through commitment, through doing the things I do, through going to school from 6 to 10 at night to get a degree, through doing the things that I did, I changed my reality. No, but it's still your reality in as a snapshot in time is what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying that where you find yourself today is your reality for the rest of your life. I'm saying, what, um, trying to think of the... Um, we used to say at my old job, perception is reality. So if somebody's upset for what I feel like is no reason, that doesn't really matter because the fact is they're upset. And so we need to dig down, you know, talking about employees and things like that. See, I'm perfectly okay to look at somebody and say, suck it up, buttercup. It's, it's just not a, it's not, a, not something that I'm going to invest my time in. If they feel like that's their reality and they're looking for a way to change it, I'll be the first to help somebody. If they feel like that's their reality and they're, they're looking for an excuse not to change it, I have no mercy on those people. And all. I mean, reality on reality's terms. And all. But anyway, so I'm rating the diesel. Um, it's, it's a solid five and a half, five and three quarter. It's, it's rushing up against a six with the mood I'm in tonight. This was the right cigar and yeah. all. Thanks to Jonathan for giving this to me. That, that does sound like a cigar whose rating would vary widely based on the day you're having, what you had for dinner, that sort of thing. Absolutely. You know, I'm going on a cruise Thursday. I'm leaving, going, getting on the boat and going for a weekend or out to Cozumel. 
I will take a lot of light cigars on that cruise because that's the mood I'm going to be in. I'm not going to be in a mood to ponder man's existence and the quality of time and how our consciousness affects that. I'm not going to be in that. I'm going to be sitting there watching people walk by the pool and laughing and joking and having a good time. So I'm going to carry much lighter fare when I go to do that. And I'm not going to be carrying real heavy fare. And also, yeah, I think the moment you smoke this could drastically affect how this cigar becomes rated. Interesting. Yeah, I've got to pick one of those up. It sounds like something that, if I'm in the mood for it, would be a perfect hit. But how do they get a hold of us, Trey? Uh, so you can reach us via email at info at cigarcast.com. We're on facebook.com slash thecigarcast and Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and thank well of us. Mm-hmm.